Pastini is Eugene's new Italian bistro at Oakway Center, dedicated to serving up two of life's greatest pleasures, pasta and wine. Join them for classic favorites like spaghetti and meatballs, linguine with clams and sausage, and fettuccine Alfredo paired with hand-selected Pacific Northwest and Italian wines. Pastini. Eat pasta. Drink wine. Welcome to the Duck Pod from DuckSports.com. Here's Ryan Thorburn and Austin Meek from the Register Guard Newsroom. All right, Austin, we're getting ready for the long road to Pullman tomorrow. <laughs> uh, we're driving to Pullman to uh, for the Oregon at Washington State game, which is a top 25 matchup. College game day will be in Pullman. Um, before the season, I didn't think this would be what it is, but it's really turned into one of the biggest games of the season for both teams and obviously nationally um, spotlighted. So um, just your thoughts on what we've got ahead of us this weekend. Well, we've got a long drive ahead of us. Uh, Rob, Rob Denton, what is the, uh, what is the RG Instagram handle? Do we at, know? At Register Guard. Okay. I will be, uh, I will be Instagramming the whole trip. So, um, you will see every truck stop between here and uh, Pullman and Cheney and everywhere else that we'll be. So follow us along there. It's going to be a fun trip. It's going to be a fun game. Um, you know, we talked. I think we talked on the on the podcast last week about how everything was just setting up so perfectly for Oregon against Washington because Oregon was coming off the bye. Uh, Washington had played a hard fought game. The crowd you knew was going to be out for blood, and it kind of worked out that way. You know, it was it ended up being the perfect day for Oregon last week to get that win against Washington. Well, this week it, it's kind of setting up the other way for Washington State. Uh, they've got college game day for the first time ever. Um, the fans are going to be just crazy. Um, and Oregon's going to be walking into a really tough environment. So I'll, I'll be really curious to see how the Ducks handle that coming off off the high of beating Washington at home where everything was kind of set up for them to win that game. Now, if, if they win this one, they've got a lot of things going against them that they're going to have to overcome. Yeah, one thing I was wrong about on our Facebook Live before the game is I said Justin Herbert needs to come through and win this game and deliver a signature victory for Mario Cristobal. And Justin played pretty well, a couple really nice touchdowns. Um, he was not intercepted. A couple were dropped, but he was not intercepted. But at the end of the day, it was all about Mario Cristobal running between the tackles and C.J. Verdell's redemption. Uh, you get got to love the Ducks' balance this season. Um, even though they have a, a potential number one QB draft pick, they're really sticking to their run game. And I think that'll be key uh, on Saturday to make sure that uh, Gardner Minshew and the Air Raid are on the sideline as much as possible. Yeah, I think we really saw the blueprint last week for what Mario Cristobal wants Oregon to be. And a lot of us, I, I was in, in the camp of saying, how is this all going to work? How is Mario Cristobal going to take the old Oregon identity and, and meld it with what he wants to be now as a, a physical um, run first type of team. And I think we saw that play out against Washington. That was, you know, that, that, that was 
sort of the archetype for what what Oregon football is going to be under Mario Cristobal or what you hope it's going to be, I guess. Uh, and so now they're they're playing a team um, that wants to throw it 70 times a game, a team that can score on you really fast. I thought it was interesting how we haven't seen an Oregon coach do this for ages, but Mario Cristobal kind of played keep away a little bit with Washington in that game. Uh, Put his offense out there, ran the ball, and I think 75% of the first down plays just kept the chains moving, had some long drives. That's just, that has not been the MO for Oregon recently, but it's a good way to play when you're playing Washington State because you really don't want to get into a shootout with, with Washington State in Pullman. You don't want to be trading scores every every minute uh you'd like to be able to have some long drives where you can keep that washington state offense on the sideline give your defense a break uh oregon's shown that they can do that and i think they're going to have to do it again this week yeah and it worked out for oregon obviously putting the ball in the running back's hands on third and goal um in overtime to win the game um but i think mario and company kind of outcoached chris peterson a little bit because you know at the end of regulation he kind of left it up to his kicker who missed a, a very makeable kick and then in overtime kind of left it up to the kicker again and and they really got conservative down in the red zone with mm-hmm. the game on the line and took the ball out of Jake Browning's hands I know Duck fans don't like Jake Browning but I thought he played a great game yeah. and deserved a better fate so uh, it all worked out uh, when it mattered in terms of the coaches and, and Mario's I guess you could say conservative approach, running the ball worked, and and it really came back to bite Peterson. Yeah, you know, I mean, the the last play call for Oregon is a classic one where if it works, it's brilliant, and if it doesn't work, it's a terrible call. I guarantee you, if C.J. Verdell gets tackled for a for a one yard gain on that third and goal from the six, everybody is screaming, "Why don't you throw the ball with Justin Herbert there?" If you've got the potential number one draft pick playing quarterback, uh, but you know that's part of why coaches get paid the big bucks is to make the right call in that situation. And credit to Mario Cristobal and Marcus Arroyo and Oregon's offensive coaches, they had a hunch about what. Washington was going to do defensively. They guessed right. Washington was sitting back, waiting for Justin Herbert to throw the ball. Had a huge hole to hand it off. Uh, it, it worked out perfectly. So, you know, the coaching thing, it, it goes around, it comes around. A couple weeks ago, Mario Cristobal was getting roasted for how he handled the end-of-game strategy against Stanford. Everybody was talking about how Chris Peterson uh, handled the clock in a close game and you know gee why didn't Mario Cristobal do what Chris Peterson did well this week it's Chris Peterson that's getting roasted a little bit but you know hey with good reason I think they had a third and one instead of trying to get a little closer for that field goal uh, they they ran the clock down they kicked a 37 yarder that maybe it would have been good from 32 they could have picked up five more yards I don't know uh, but yeah for that game at least I'd, I'd say uh, Mario Cristobal outcoached the guy on the other sideline well, after his biggest win to date, Mario said it's very important, obviously, for Oregon to change the channel and get on to Washington State. So uh, let's go ahead and do that right now and uh, get, get our guest on the line, Theo Lawson from the Spokesman Review, who covers Washington State. Okay, as promised, we're joined by Theo Lawson from the Spokesman Review. Uh, Theo covers Washington State. 
football and I believe Gonzaga basketball. Um, so obviously it's it's a big weekend coming up in Pullman with the Ducks coming to town, ESPN game day coming to town. Theo, what, what's kind of the atmosphere right now um, with all the developments this season? Uh, I didn't expect a lot of Washington State and now I'm expecting maybe that they could possibly beat Oregon this weekend. They're they're looking that good. What's what's it been like? Um, this kind of unsus- unexpected ride to where we are this weekend. Yeah, I don't think uh, anyone anticipated that college game day would be would be coming for for the seventh week of the season, and the Cougars would be five and one, top twenty five team, and really kind of kind of in a position to to, to win the North again, um, which they have been the last couple of years up until the Apple Cup. So. I, it certainly has been unexpected that they had to replace uh, so many key figures from last year's team, a, a bunch of assistant coaches, a really good defensive coordinator. Uh, when, when, when you lose all that, you, you're not really sure what you have. Um, the, the quarterback situation was really muddy for a while, and then uh, they, they, they're they almost better at that spot now than, than they were last year. So I don't think anyone could have kind of foreseen this season, but uh, people are certainly embracing it. And, and college game day uh, coming here, that it's been something that's that's you know 30 years in the making, and uh, it, it's kind of long overdue. And, and so I think everyone's everyone's buzzing, and it'll be it'll be a, certainly a, a pretty historic weekend uh, in Pullman. Uh, reading, uh, it looks like people are renting out their vans as Airbnbs for people to sleep in because there's such a, a high demand for people trying to get into town for this game. I'm sure there's going to be people camping out. Uh, Friday night before game day. So just set the scene a little bit in Pullman. What's it like now? Can you feel the buzz already for the game? Yeah, it, it definitely doesn't feel like it feel like a regular football weekend here. And a, you know, regular football weekends are, are still pretty pretty wild and crazy. And so I think I think you kind of double that and kind of take it to a new level. I mean, I, I for example, I have, to have three people crashing with me in, in, in my apartment this weekend. Uh, a few uh, Washington State alums that, that I know. So I think that's kind of uh, kind of the case everywhere. And I know that the presidential house, uh, President Kirk Schulten and his wife, uh, have opened up a few rooms at their place for, uh, for for regents and chancellors to stay. They're trying to open up some rooms and hotels just just to kind of accommodate um, the fans and, and also the, the college game day crew that's going to be here so um it, it certainly doesn't feel like a re- regular college football weekend um, just around town there, there, there's more banners more flag that was just at a, at, a, at a restaurant a breakfast place that was putting up a welcome to well, welcome espn college game day sign on their big board so um you, you, you can definitely tell it you know something's happening here and i think uh, you know it's only thursday so i think it'll it'll kind of continue to, to develop the rest of rest of today and tomorrow and of course uh, kind of peaking on saturday you touched on the quarterback situation, and obviously Luke Falk was a four-year starter, and then you had the tragedy um, during the offseason. And now I think even going into the whamming game, like they didn't tip their hand to even who the quarterback was going to be, and, and it ends up being Gardner Minshew, the, the transfer from Eastern Carolina. And from what I've seen on TV, especially that USC game, I mean, this guy seems to have quite a bit of swagger about him. Obviously, he leads the nation in passing. Um, very nice mustache as well. Just kind of give us the, the story on Gardner Minshew and you know what you kind of expect from him in this spotlight situation. Yeah, he, he definitely has has some moxie that, that you you really haven't seen at that at that position for for a few years. Luke Falk was was, was more of a calm kind of laid back guy, and uh, you know kind of wouldn't go out of his way to, to, to show his you know his confidence. And Gardner Minshew is a very very confident guy, but but not necessarily cocky. And I, I think a lot of people have, have kind of compared him to Baker Mayfield. He kind of just has that personality, and um, you know people have have, have certainly 
uh, kind of flock to him, and you know, the, the mustache is, is kind of taking taking on a, a life of its own. And you see fans uh, wearing mustaches mustaches at games now, and so so he really has become kind of a fan favorite, and kind of kind of his own brand almost here at Washington State, and, and really just a short time. But uh, when it when it comes to the football, he's he's a, he's a fifth year senior who's, who's played plenty of games. It was a starter at East Carolina. Um, so, so he's kind of seen all, all, all sorts of defenses. He, he's also played in the air raid before. Um, actually, when he was a, when he was a high school player, and in Brandon, Mississippi, they, they actually installed the air raid at, at his high school. And prior to that, he, he had kind of uh, spent years just watching a film of, of Mike Leach's Texas Tech team, and kind of always play with uh, Texas Tech and, and the NCAA video games, and, and really kind of idolized Mike Leach. So. You know, when, when Mike Leach called him uh, this the spring after he'd already committed to Alabama and said, hey, do, do you want to come to, to WCU and you know, leave the country in passing yard? It, it, it was certainly an opportunity he, he couldn't pass up. And, he, he, you know, currently he is leading the, leading the country in passing yards. And you always got the sense that, uh, you know, they, they, they did label it a quarterback competition, but you, know, you kind of felt that they wouldn't bring in a guy like this and, unless they planned to, planned to start him. He obviously had uh, more experience than anyone, anyone there. No other quarterback on the roster had taken a snap before. So, it was certainly certainly an easy decision, and I think he kind of broke away from the pack early in fall camp. And you could just always tell he was going to be the guy. He really has a, kind of rallied the team and brought them together. It didn't take him long to to kind of ingratiate. So it's really been a perfect situation, and probably better than than Mike Leach could have uh, you know drawn up. There were a lot of rumors about Mike Leach in the off season. He was linked to the Tennessee job, and and maybe a couple others. It seemed like he was really looking for a way out of Pullman if he could find one, but he didn't find one. He came back. How are the fans feeling about Mike Leach by now? Is it a matter of uh, as long as he's there and he's winning games, they love the guy? Is there has there been any uh, maybe angst in the fan base that it seemed like he was uh, looking around in the off season? You know, I, I think I think generally college football coaches kind of always kind of shop around and just kind of kind of are aware of their options and want to see what options they have just just in case. And whether whether or not Mike Leach was was wanting to to, to leave, you know, he, he certainly did an interview at Tennessee and kind of looked for for about 24 hours that, that he was going to take that job. So I think uh, I think Washington State fans are, are glad to have him here and they, they would like to see him win one of those Apple Cups eventually. You know, winning either the last two would, would have won the Pac-12 North for for Wazoo, but. I think uh, I think the grand scheme of things, when you look at where this program was before he got here and then where it is now, they're they're probably probably going to make their their fourth consecutive bowl game. That's something that hasn't happened in program history, and they've really kind of set new expectations to where, to where now you can kind of talk about them as, as, as a pretty a pretty regular contender in the Pac-12 North. And so, I think uh, I think fans here love him, and he certainly has a uh, an interesting personality. And so so he has, he kind of adds that, and kind of has, has his own brand and. Uh, you know, with, with the pirate stuff and, and the air raid, and so, so I think a lot more people know about Washington State now than they, than they did eight years ago. And I, I think he's done a good job of kind of sustaining things. And they're also getting a lot better on, on the defensive side of the ball now. And so I think it's just kind of a conti- continuation of, of what he's done. And, and I, I think they, I think they keep getting better. They're bringing in better recruits every year. And I, I think one of these days, as long as he's here, they probably will have a chance to, to win the Pac-12 North and, and compete for a title. Yeah, he's such an um, a different guy, especially for a football coach. Usually, they're just cliches and boring. And you know, he's into writing books about Geronimo and um, debating whether a hot dog is a sandwich and all that stuff. But um, you know, obviously, we enjoy him at the Pac-12 Media Day. The national media enjoys him. But what's it like on a daily basis to cover him? Because I get the sense he's probably not as as fun on a daily basis. But what what's that like? I guess. 
know, I, I think I've, I, have a, I have a pretty good relationship with him, and, and I, I think he has a pretty fun coach to cover in general. Um, the, the Monday press conferences that, that we have always kind of turn into to laughing shows and can become more of more of a comedy session than, than a traditional uh, weekly press conference. So. Um, he, 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 you get the, you get the sense he likes talking about the uh, the random non football stuff more than he does you know what's what's happening that week on the, on the football field and talking about the, their opponents. So I mean, it's entertaining and colorful and all those things, and you certainly get get a few more uh, uh, you know Twitter retweets and then whatnot covering Mike Leach. So I, I think it's pretty good, but but he is pretty accessible and um, he'll kind of go out of his way to, to help you out. So for, from from a reporter standpoint, from a beat writer standpoint, I do enjoy covering him. There are some weird quirks and. Um, you know, you, you don't you don't get any injury reports, which kind of makes it hard to, to do to do your job at times. But you kind of have to deal with some of that stuff, and um, and then kind of just roll with it. So, um, I you know, I, I, I think that I think he gives I think he gives more access than, than most college football coaches do. And you know, fall camp is opened up to reporters, and spring camp is. And so, um, I you know, I, I think we have it pretty good. And he certainly is entertaining. And I, I think I've covered enough dry football coaches that, that I'm, I'm I'm kind of learning to 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 appreciate the humor and and kind of the the quirky things that we get every week. Yeah. Well, you mentioned the Apple Cup, um, and it seems like sort of the wrap on, on Leach's teams at, at Washington State and going back to Texas Tech is um, he'd have some good years, he'd have some, some 10-win seasons, but getting over that hump and, and winning a conference championship was, was hard to do. Uh, I don't think anybody was thinking about Washington State in those terms going into the season, but now you look at it, uh, they get Oregon at home, and uh, I believe they get Washington at home in the Apple Cup as well. Uh, is, has that have, have the expectations kind of changed now to where people are thinking about could this actually be the year when when Washington State could get it done? Yeah, you know, I, I think we've we've gone into the last two seasons kind of uh, just just assuming that they were going to uh, kind of lose the Apple Cup against these, these pretty high profile Washington teams and, and teams that, that that were going to probably win the Pac-12 North and potentially compete for for a spot in the college football playoff. And you just kind of assumed that, that the Cougars would kind of have to forfeit that game. And then you know every year it seems it seems to be that the Cougars get better and better each week. That they're beating some pretty pretty good teams in the Pac-12. I mean, you know, they've beat Oregon the last three years and, and beat Stanford the last two years and beat a pretty good Utah team on the road last year to kind of secure uh, I guess kind of clinch the position that they were in going into the Apple Cup to where if they won that game that they would win the Pac-12 North so I, th- I think they've, they've, they've certainly kind of increased expectations throughout the year each of the last two seasons and that, that kind of looks to be the case again this year where uh, before the season you know Washington was, was, was seemingly a, a top five team and the Cougars were, were nowhere near the top 25, and now, uh, now after after six games, Washington's fallen back a little bit, and, and the Cougars are a lot better than than we thought they'd be. So, um, I, I think it does kind of look like another season where we're probably going to at least go into go into the game talking about the, the potential that, that they have to, to beat Washington, and you have a you have a graduate transfer quarterback who doesn't know much about the rivalry, and I think that almost helps him in this case, and he won't uh, he won't be thinking about the, the last uh, the last three or four games that they've played, and so. It's kind of a fresh start. Of course, having the game in Pullman is going to be huge and um, probably pretty cold. And I think that's more of an atmosphere that, that the Cougars are Cougars are used to. So, you know, I, I think going into that game, if, if, it, if it is a position where the, you know, the Cougars can can win that game and win the Pac-12 North, you know, I think well, I think a bunch of people will be picking them to win the game. And Washington seems, seems to have kind of fallen off again. So, um, I'm not sure what will happen. It, you know, we, we always talk about that game. In, in those terms, and it kind of never ends up how we expect it to. And Washington always walks away with a, with a thirty or forty point win. So I'm not really sure what to expect this year. But um, I, you know, I, I think if they can win this game this week against Oregon, beat Stanford, I, I think that they'll they'll at least be in, in, in position. And I think that's all you can ask for. 
Yeah, when you look at this three-game winning streak against Oregon, I mean, it's it's extremely frustrating for Oregon fans, not just because of the losses, but uh, in 2015, Vernon Adams uh, did not play because of injury. Uh, in 2016, it was Dakota Prukop, and then they finally uh, threw the towel in on the season and put Herbert in in the fourth quarter and Pullman for his debut. And then, you know, obviously last year, Herbert was out with uh, a fractured collarbone. So um, they're going to get... The real Herbert now, uh, junior, potential number one NFL draft pick. What what are the Washington State defensive players and Leach kind of saying about trying to defend Herbert and the Ducks when they're at full strength? Yeah, well, I think you make a good point. A lot of people are kind of talking about this, this era of dominance over Oregon, and yeah, I don't think you can discredit what Washington State's done. The, the last three years, they've had three good teams and played three good games against Oregon, regardless of, of, of who's playing quarterback. But, but I think you do have to consider that the last time they uh, they lost to Oregon, Marcus Mariota was, was was behind center, and they did have a pretty high profile quarterback who, who could who could beat them. And they, they've kind of uh, lucked out the last three years, I guess you could say, playing a couple of backups and guys. Uh, you know, Justin Herbert obviously was. It wasn't who, who he is now when, when he was a freshman playing that game in Pullman. And, uh, you know, Braxton Bur- Burmeister was kind of thrown into the fire last year. Um, I, I believe Royce Freeman was also kind of injured in that game and probably wasn't at full strength last year. So I think it's kind of been a nice little grace period for the Cougars. But, but yeah, you, you kind of go back to back to a high-profile quarterback this week and who can make all the throws and extend plays. And um, he, he certainly gives the, the defense a lot to think about. Um, with, with his arm, and you know, I don't, I don't think you would necessarily consider him a, a true dual threat quarterback like a Khalil Tate or, or, or Tyler Huntley or one of those guys. But 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 he he is someone who can extend plays with his legs, uh, maybe kind of similar to Gardner Minshew. Um, so, so you have to account for a lot of things playing him. Mean, they really haven't seen a quarterback this caliber this year. I'd say the best QB they've seen, they've seen probably is, is JT Daniels, the, the freshman at USC, and I think Herbert's just just, just kind of come on another level. So um, they, they have a lot to think about, a lot to worry about. Uh, the corner. And, and, and DBs really have kind of struggled the last couple of games with, with penalties, and um, now they have to worry about a pretty good quarterback, and then probably probably also one of the best receivers they've seen this year in Dylan Mitchell too. And I mean, and it, that doesn't even kind of get to, to Oregon's running game, which you know, is probably going to be one of the better run games that they've seen this year too. So I think there's a lot to worry about when, when it comes to Oregon's offense, and I think they're doing some some, some new things under Mario Cristobal that, that, that the Cougars didn't really see on film last year. So um, that there's a lot to, to worry about, and I, I'm. I'm sure they'll, they'll uh, have their hands full on Saturday. Theo, thanks for joining us, man. I, hopefully we won't have to crash on your couch Friday night, but I know it's going to be crazy there in Pullman. So we're uh, looking forward to getting out there and seeing the atmosphere, and we'll see you in the press box on Saturday. Sounds good. We'll, we'll have a little more room here, so just uh, just let me know. But uh, <laughs> great, great, great to talk to you guys and see you Saturday. All right. Thanks, man. Thank you. Yeah. Okay, we're back uh, for our final segment where we will kind of make our predictions sure to go wrong uh i picked washington last week to win on a field goal which they should have done but the guy (laughs) didn't make the kick but that's okay uh that sets up uh you know a more interesting season for oregon now that they're in the mix for the pac-12 championship um i'm gonna stick with my theme and pick washington state um it's really a toss-up game in terms of las vegas line i think uh Oregon's a slight favorite now, and I think Washington State opened as a slight favorite. Um, it's just a it's a unique setting anyway, but with game day there, I think it's going to be really tough for any visitor to go in there. And Mike Leach seems to have Oregon's number, although, as we mentioned uh, with Theo a moment ago, he's 
been able to avoid Oregon's really good quarter starting quarterbacks the last three years, and now he gets uh, Justin Herbert at full go. So I think it could go either way. I'll pick Washington State, but I would not be surprised if Oregon takes care of business. Yeah, I'm going to ride the hot hand, I think, and I'm going to stick with the Ducks this week. Uh, I just go back to the fact that I think when you and I did our podcast before the season, uh, we were unanimous that uh, we just didn't think Washington State was going to be a very good team this year, and they have proved us wrong so far. But I guess I can't quite shake the idea that uh, maybe the start for Washington State is a little bit of a mirage. Uh, they, they played pretty well against USC. They hung with, with USC. Uh, they, they beat Utah at home. But I don't think that they have seen a team uh, offensively that's going to throw at them everything that Oregon's going to throw at them. So I'm going to take the Ducks uh, by a touchdown, but I'm with you. I think it could be a I think it could be a wild game either way. There could be a lot of points on the board by the end of it, uh, but it should be fun, and it's going to be a it's going to be an interesting weekend in in a lot of ways. Yeah. So we're leaving tomorrow morning in some sort of a company car that Mims has probably destroyed from his <laughs> trip down to the Bay Area. Um, and what, what are we look? What is it, like a seven hour? I think yeah, seven, seven, seven hour drive seven and a half. Yeah. So we'll get in there, you know, about four or five local time. Um, so if anyone out there is still listening to this podcast at this point, um, go ahead and tweet at us or email us. Like the best places to go in Pullman. Um, we want to kind of get the atmosphere. Get a get a not just the game day, but just the atmosphere of Pullman and and where people like to go on a Friday night. And we'll probably, you know, obviously Austin mentioned he's going to do some uh, Instagram posts. We'll probably do a video and and probably also do a Facebook live uh, at a location to be determined. So uh, if you have any ideas where we could do that, or if you want to stop by once we find a spot, we'll be around and uh, it should be a good time. Yeah, looking forward to it. And thanks, everybody, for checking out the podcast. As always, uh, we'll be back next week to break down everything that happened in Pullman and look ahead. But until then, thanks for listening to The Duck Pod. Thanks for listening to this episode of The Duck Pod from DuckSports.com. Be sure to subscribe on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. And always available at DuckSports.com. DuckSports.com.